Welcome back to Shadow on TV, Game of Thrones edition, the unofficial podcast companion piece to the juggernaut HBO series, Game of Thrones. I'm one of your hosts, Gene Lyons, and alongside me is my co-host, Big D, Dick Ebert. Good evening. And after more than a year away from Westeros, we are back with our season eight preview episode where we explore the buzz surrounding Game of Thrones and report everything we expect this spring from a show we all love. Man, I can't believe how much time has passed. It seems like forever. So just yesterday, I was listening to our season seven recap and our thronies. And at that time, people had started counters already. It was like 500 something days left until the next season. We thought that maybe we were getting it in 2018. The showrunner said most likely it was going to be early 2019. And here we are. Time flies. Uh, I feel like it was just yesterday that season seven ended. And here we are at season eight, the final season. I wish we could have 10 more. But uh, but from what I've seen so far, I'm super excited to get started on this final installment of Game of Thrones. Yeah, so this time around, I have avoided spoilers, anything as hard as I can. I mean, uh, obviously, you go online and sometimes, you know, the big news feeds, things pop up. But I've actively avoided everything that isn't an official channel, anything that is a rumor. Uh, and over the weekend, I started my rewatch. And getting back into it, the first time I heard that theme music, I went from like, okay, I'm excited to fuck yes, like back 100% on board. Uh, and I'm fired up to start the podcast, fired up to start the season and glad everybody's back along with us for the ride. I set an overly ambitious goal of reading all the books getting up <laughs> to uh, this season. And I am still stuck in a clash of kings, but it really got me back in touch with all these characters that we all care so much about. And I'm like you, Big D. I try to avoid, which is particularly hard to do with an audience that wants to know what we think of it so far. And people are messaging us, when's the preview coming out? Did you hear this rumor? Did you hear that rumor? I have people sending me direct links to like fan theories. And <laughs> I'm really, really trying to sit back and enjoy this show. This is a rich and beautiful story. This is a world that's been created. Uh, this is our farewell to a really a piece of our lives for the last uh, you know eight years. And so I'm really excited to just take it in. And with respect to all the other people who have that same position, I want to point out that we will not be doing any spoilers during this episode. All we'll be talking about is expectations of season eight, some directions that things might be going, what we hope to get out of it. And everything that we'll talk about is publicly available and has been shared either by HBO or by the cast members. But for the most part, I don't think there's anything that's going to be a spoiler. We might talk about hints of things or or suggestions of things, but none of it is for certain. The show could go in a hundred different directions from here. Yeah, I just want to reiterate that. If it didn't come from an official source, somebody in the cast, we're, we're not going to touch it. But people, please, treat this like Christmas Day. Everybody wants to open their gifts. They want to know what's there. That's the excitement. But when you do that, Christmas Day is not the same. Stay away from it. Everybody, and we're guilty of it, me probably the worst, of tinfoil and trying to figure it all out. It's the last six episodes that we get of this series. In two months, This will you'll never have this excitement again on this same level, I think, for years to come. Sit back, relax, enjoy it with us, but you're not going to get cool internet points if you figure it out. So let's try to take it step by step and just enjoy this this last hurrah to what is probably one of the best television series we're going to see in our lifetime. Also, for any of the people who are joining us on American Gods currently, if you're tired of me being negative and the King B being negative, I must warn you that this will probably be the opposite. I have such a fondness for Game of Thrones that they could literally just have eight hours of montages, and I'd be like, that was that was beautiful, Big <laughs> D. That was, did you see Jon Snow's hair in slow motion? <laughs> My God. So we will fanboy out over this. Apologies in advance. Uh, this episode will be made up primarily of a breakdown of the most substantial trailer that's been released, kind of what we see in the trailer and what it portends for the season. Uh, then we're going to go episode by episode and just with some production notes and facts that give us some ideas of what we can expect from those episodes. Uh, we're going to do a quick rundown of everybody who was originally in this Game of Thrones who started out being either favorites or underdogs and were killed along the way. 
or people who still have a strong chance to make it to sit on the Iron Throne if anybody does in the end. And finally, we're going to round it up with a wish list of what we hope to get out of the season, just our own personal desires for this series. Big D, anything else you want to add before we get started on this trailer? Yeah, if you and we always tell people the way you can help us out is to to share the podcast, review us. If you know anybody who watches Game of Thrones, I, I would stretch to say they probably would enjoy this podcast. So as much as you shared your love of the show, the podcast, the more people we get on this ride and joining in with emails and the conversation makes it the most fun. So tell your people at work, tell your family next weekend. If you can't get enough on Sunday with the show, share a link to our Instacast. It'll help us. All right, without further ado, we're going to follow the path we took in Season 7 and start out with the trailer. Vulture.com did a great breakdown in March of the Season 8 trailer, the the main one, uh, which has the voiceovers from Arya Stark and Jon Snow, Jamie Lannister. We can learn a lot from just a very, very short trailer. And this is actually a fairly long trailer with a lot of visuals and a lot of audio that kind of tells us the tone for the season. The biggest thing that we see is most of these shots seem to focus on Winterfell. So it looks like most of the action is going back to where it started for us. I'm elated because in all seven previous seasons, we spent a lot of time in King's Landing. We spent a lot of time all over Westeros and even across the Narrow Sea. But I feel like we haven't spent enough time in Winterfell. It's a it's a beautiful setting. It is a harsh setting. To me, this feels like home, and I'm glad the trailer seems to focus on it. I hope that season eight focuses on it as well. Yeah, and we have to try not to take every little nugget in the trailer that we're breaking down as gospel. Because as much as they're showing us, they're trying to mislead and misdirect us. But yeah, for me, there's almost nothing I'm looking forward to more than that first confrontation where we get the White Walkers, the Whites, staring at each other across the fields of Winterfell. It's, it's going to be epic. The actor who plays the Night King, actually, in an interview, they were talking about that that battle, the Battle of Winterfell. And uh, he says that they intended to be the biggest in TV history and that almost the full episode would be about the battle. Well, that episode is 82 minutes long. So the expectation is this will be a 60-minute just combat, 60 minutes of battle happening on an 82-minute episode. That's insane. I mean, you think most movies, I mean, big Hollywood movies, even like the Avengers, you're talking battle scenes that last a matter of minutes. A full hour, I mean, it's going to leave you exhausted it's going to leave you with your eyes popping out of your head i do feel like this is going to be one for the ages you know we saw the loot train we've seen battle of blackwater we've seen my favorite battle of the bastards and hard home i think this is going to dwarf all of those and i think we have to remember where we left all the players at the end of last season Uh, with the wall coming down the army of the dead is not that far away so i'm expecting that this battle will be within the first couple episodes we only have six episodes so there's no more jockeying. There's no more setting the table. We're there. You're not going to get two or three episodes of Daenerys landing you know, on Dragonstone like we did last season. I think we're going to get the battle quickly, and then it's going to progress down south. But it's, it's, it's going to be something that you get the surround sound pumped up. This might be like the Super Bowl. You know, people go buy those new 4K, 8K TVs. This might be a situation to upgrade the TV situation. A big player in this trailer is Arya Stark. Uh, we see her rocking some dragon glass in her hand, and she's talking about meeting this face of death. Now, Arya has been uh, no stranger to death and has even been in the deep bowels and recesses of cults of death uh, when she was with uh, the Faceless Men. The fact that she is looking forward to this face of death, I imagine she's indicating that she's going to face the Night King's army. And that probably indicates that she makes it to face them uh, head on. It'll be interesting to see Arya, who we really haven't seen in a full-scale battle, uh, exactly what her role will be in this and how she relates to all the death that is around her. I mean, she's seen death, but at this scale, uh, will it shock her or will she be prepared? I mean, for me, she she's one of the characters I'm least excited about seeing unless we get more of the action that we saw at the end, like the sparring with Brienne, where we can see she's physically capable the trailers lead us to believe we're going to see more of her in action and less stealthy secretive you know slitting walter Frey's throat i want to see her in action if they give us that it'll be a nice addition to the army of the living and i think it's something that the audience would just has been waiting to see to see her kick ass 
Big Dean, setting us up from season seven to season eight, you talked about how the the wall fell. Uh, in that scene, we were left wondering what happens to Tormund and Beric Dondarrion. The season eight trailer seems to indicate they are still alive. Uh, we see them in what appears to be maybe the crypts of Winterfell. It could be a dream sequence. I don't know. But they appear to have survived the, wall, the fall of the wall and somehow made their way to Winterfell. So I think everyone's breathing a sigh of relief if they are in, in case alive. These are two characters that I believe I'd like more time with. Uh, so that's that's a plus. And then we see moving away from Winterfell uh, onto the seas, we see Euron Greyjoy's fleet. And it appears that on board his ships, we have the Golden Company. So again, a little background on them. They are the cell swords that Cersei called for. She told Euron to go get those mercenaries and bring them over. Uh, looking at a cast list, it seems that the Golden Company will be playing a role in this season. I'm looking forward to this mainly because we've seen as each fighting force is brought into the storyline, we get to see a different style of fighting. We saw it with the Unsullied. We saw it with the Dothraki. It'd be really cool if the Golden Company comes in and shows us a fighting style and a type of tactic that we've never seen on this show. See, and I always question what would happen now if you have the Golden Company, which are sellswords. They've always, their loyalty could be bought. What happens when confronted with an enemy that is death? Money is useless when you're fighting an army of the dead. I think, and I would love to see, at that moment when you see what's coming, for them to turn and they could play a pivotal role in it. But again, you're going to need every able-bodied human fighting for the living and a, a skilled group of these guys. They, they can do some damage. You know, one turn of events that could be really sad, and I think it's a distinct possibility, is if the war in the North, let's say, uh, at Winterfell, at Last Hearth, if that ends up being a victory for the living, and then those same forces meet their demise as they push south to King's Landing, right? Like if, if Cersei just comes and sweeps shit up with the Golden Company, <laughs> it'd be a real downer. Uh, but speaking of different armies, we do have the Unsullied. We do see them marching in snow with uh, Daenerys and Jon leading them. They're riding side by side, like in equal positioning. So that's a very interesting power dynamic. And if season seven was any indicator of Westeros's jetpacking and fast travel capabilities, we're going to have armies just moving all over the place. I mean, here at the Unsullied, I think they've marched like a thousand miles at this point. <laughs> just in sandals. Cool. We're in <laughs> snow. No problem. But we do see them up north. They are in the snow. So it seems like they will be on the front lines against the army of the dead. Yeah, I'm glad they just finally got them some winter clothes. But they've promised across the board that the jetpacking of last season was required to get the pieces in line. They cannot continue that this season. You can't have people just last minute jumping around. The travel and time it takes has to be more real time. They can't do that again. That, that would ruin it for me. I mean, I don't know how they avoid it. You've got six episodes and somehow if you're looking at the trailer and you look at all the people who are depicted in what seems to be Winterfell, you've got Sam, Varys, the dragons, Sansa, Gendry, Bran of Tarth, Podrick, Jorah, Mormont, they're all there at Winterfell. How the fuck yeah. did everybody get there? I don't care. They're there. Okay. But what, <laughs> I'm, what, what I'm saying is now we know the army of the dead is going to come south. You have one of two options. They're either going to be wiped out or the dead will somehow win a, the battle and drive everyone south. So as the season progresses, we should have in real time. The human the living going south being pursued until you hit the southernmost border, King's Landing, and then there's some other confrontation. There's no more people going north, south. I'm going to fly to the wall. Then I'm going to go back to Dragonstone. Then I'm going to go across to Casterly Rock. Then I'm going to sail around the corner and get the gold company. None of that. Everybody's going south. Run, Gendry. Run, oh, run, run. He's been working out. You see that, that shot of him? Woo. <laughs> oh, yeah. He's he, looks, CrossFit. he looks good. Oh, it looks real good. Real good. So John and Daenerys, we see them in the trailer walking up to the dragons. This trailer is dragon heavy, uh, but we do see the two of them walking to the two remaining dragons, probably suggesting he's going to ride one this season. I The dragons are my least favorite part of the story, so I could care less. Oh, come on. Everybody loves dragons. I got a friend who I've been telling for four years to get on the show. He texts me a week ago and goes, hey, I just started episode one. So then he texts me yesterday. He goes, oh, we got dragons. I said, dude, you ain't got fucking dragons. You got lizards. You'll know you got dragons when she says Dracarys. You'll know then you got dragons. But for me, the interesting part of that is for John to ride the dragon, 
his Targaryen you know, ancestry almost has to be out there. People have to know it. And when he's walking up, they're walking up hand in hand. Does that mean that the two of them are aware of their relationship and cool with it as they're going to go on this dragon ride? Because I can't see him riding the dragon without them knowing he is a Targaryen. And by that, that that's his aunt. Either they're freaky deaky or she's just the most supportive aunt of all times. But I definitely don't have a relationship like this with my aunts. So we'll have to see what happens there. Wait, hold One on. Conf- don't, don't, don't you have an aunt who would always touch your Patrick? The little flag above your underwear? Oh, my Patrick? Yeah. Yeah, but, you know, touching your little undersized uh, adolescent penis and uh, and letting you ride a dragon. Those, those are two different stories. Eh, I think they all start with the touching of the penis. I wasn't molested, everyone. <laughs> yeah. Okay, go, go listen to Christmas Story and tell us what you think. <laughs> All right, so uh, moving on to Grey Worm and Missandei, you see them openly kissing. Uh, it's at night. He's like kind of putting on his armor. This seems to be before the Battle of Winterfell. It seems that they're on the kind of the, uh, the battlements of Winterfell. Uh, one note, again, to get us excited about this battle, this night battle was shot over 11 weeks, always at night. And the cast, uh, lots of the people said that this was the worst thing that they'd ever done. Maisie Williams, who plays Arya Stark, said that she was informed well before any of this was shot that this was going to be grueling and to prepare herself for. She said nothing could have prepared her for what she actually experienced. I shot a commercial for one day, Big D. People say like, oh, it's acting. How hard can it be? Dude, I shot a commercial for one day. And I wanted to die. You're on your feet. You don't get to sit down. You got to be in your place every time that camera is rolling over and over and over again. And that was without snow or armor or white walkers chasing me. So I really, really expect a lot from this scene. And the fact that they paid that much attention to detail, that much attention to scope makes me think that we are in for a treat. How have I never heard about your commercial? Was this like a JCPenney's catalog? Like a what, what commercial was this? It was a it was a student project for like a Chanel oh, type perfume. You, you made it sound like you were in like a legit campaign, like you were the Darth Vader Volkswagen kid in the Super Bowl ad. Oh no no no! This was like a student project. Yeah, but it was still oh. the whole thing. You had to go to makeup. You had to be oh, on set. It was God. for hours and hours. I think it was like thirteen or fourteen hours of shooting. It was ridiculous. Yeah, a, a high school performance of Grease doesn't mean you were you were once in a stage production. Very different things. So Jamie Lannister, <laughs> we see him looking pretty grizzled. Uh, he's got a got a beard growing in. He, he's looking like he's having a tough time. Uh, and we do see him in combat. There's blood on his face. There's fire around him. So again, it's suggesting, much like the other fire scenes that we see in this trailer, that he is at the Battle of Winterfell. We also see a shot of the Hound with a similar backdrop. They might both be at the same place. Uh, this looks like they got the all-star cast for this fight. See, but I think there's a subtle editing trick at play here. They're editing it to look like it's one giant battle, but there's two elements that are subtly different. There is the, what we know, the Battle of Winterfell seems to be in the dark, but it's missing a smoke and fire component to where I'm, I'm led to believe that there's two battles that they're mixing together and splicing. One seems like it is maybe a last stand, and then the first one seems like the Battle of Winterfell, but... Uh, either way, it is going to be something to watch. Interesting you should mention that because episodes three and five have the same director, and we'll get to that in the episode facts. Uh, both of them are done by the director who did uh, Hard Home and Battle of the Bastards. So I think that we're going to get two mega battles in this season, probably episodes three and five. And so maybe they had to splice together between those two things. That's a good observation. So my question here is with Jamie Lannister, because he is a, a pivotal figure. He commands the Lannister army. Do you think he'll keep his word and, and, and fight for the living? Or do you think he will, in the end, fall back on family and love? I think they've invested so much into his redemption arc and making him kind of a fan favorite, which surprises me because I still, based on his history, still think that he falls on the on the side of villains. Uh, but I, I don't see them reversing course on him. And I think that he is going to be a martyr in this uh, season. But again, that's purely just conjecture. I have no idea. One person who is noticeably 
absent from the trailer is Tyrion. He gets a blip of trailer screen time, but he's not featured as much as these other major characters like Arya, like Jaime, like Jon Snow and Daenerys. He is a big player up until this point. Uh, he's caused a lot of the machination and plotting uh, throughout the series. I-, I can only imagine that this means one of two things. Either Tyrion's going to die early on, in which they don't have a lot of footage of him. But I think more likely, he's the final season's big secret. There's something about Tyrion that we are not supposed to see. And that's not that's why they're not showing us where he is or a lot of lines of dialogue or anything with him involving combat. I think that Tyrion is huge. And I welcome that because he is certainly one of the most interesting and dynamic characters in this show. So moving on to the episodes, uh, last season, we broke it down by episode titles and what the titles might mean. Uh, This season, season eight, they didn't give us any episode titles. So we don't know what to think based on the name of the episode. But we can look at is who directed and who wrote them to kind of get an idea of what we might see. Uh, So episode one was directed by David Nutter. Uh, he is no stranger to Game of Thrones. He directed The Reigns of Castamere, which is also known as The Red Wedding. Uh, some gut-wrenching scenes there. Did a fantastic job. The writing duties went to Dave Hill, who at just 34 years old has written three Game of Thrones episodes. And an interesting note on this one, if you're trying to avoid spoilers of any sort, you might want to fast forward about 30 seconds. Uh, but the actress who plays uh, Melisandre showed the opening title sequence on social media and it shows us you know when you see all the the moving pieces in the opening credits uh you see the wall fall and kind of a domino effect rolling down to last hearth which is the castle of house umber if you remember the umbers are those you know the big tough badasses uh great john umber was the guy who very early on pledged himself to rob stark after gray wind bit off his fingers he's just a just a big tough brute of a man uh, so Jon Snow mentioned in season seven that Last Hearth likely would be the Night King's first challenge. It's the northernmost castle. And I do believe that based on all these facts put together, episode one could be a battle at Last Hearth. Probably not a victory for the living. I don't even think it's going to be a battle. You know, the, the the Wildings were already told to man the last two castles and then the wall at Eastwatch by the sea. Uh, so I, I I would expect that all to be real quick. You know, we got six episodes. Do, do you really want to spend more than five minutes on watching the Umber's castle fall? No. Let it fall. Boom, bam. Let's go. I want to see that, that snowy hoof in the fog outside of uh, Winterfell. I want to see that like within 10 minutes. Let's get us to it. I'm just imagining you yelling next during the next. entire episode. Don't bring me salad. Don't bring me any breadsticks. Don't bring me any fucking soup. Let's go. All right, that brings us to episode two, also directed by David Nutter. Uh, This one was written by Brian Cogman. So Cogman has been with Game of Thrones since 2011, and he's responsible for writing a whopping 10 episodes of Game of Thrones. He also made a cameo in The Lion and the Rose. Uh, But this is a veteran uh, staff of writing. I think that episode two will be the buildup, kind of as we talked about those moving pieces. How do people get to where they are? leading up to episode three, which I believe is going to be a banger for many reasons. Uh, One is it's directed, as I mentioned, by Miguel Sapochnik. Uh, If that name doesn't get you excited, it should. So he's directed several Game of Thrones episodes. As I mentioned, he did Hard Home and Battle of the Bastards. This guy is a genius with large-scale warfare. And if you pair that with the double Ds, uh, Benioff and D.B. Weiss coming in to start writing now in episode three, They've taken the writing role for the remainder of the episodes. And I think it's safe to say that something huge is going to happen here. Um, If the Night King is marching steadily south and blows right through uh, Last Hearth, the timing is right for this to be the Battle of Winterfell. And that's almost confirmed by the actor who played the Night King, uh, who says that in the third part of the last season, there's a battle that the creators intend to be the biggest in TV history. Uh, The overall episode will be, as I mentioned, a delicious 82 minutes long. So mark your calendar. If you're going to watch one episode live, this is the one to not miss. See, I think what makes HBO and and this series special is they don't skip on the writers. They go with established people who have proven their mettle over seasons. Other shows, they start to skimp on what you don't see on screen. And to see that Sapotnik is directing this makes me feel, feel really, really good because it's hard to film these large-scale battles where you can easily get lost in the details, where it's a big blur. It becomes like Transformers, where you can't tell what's going on. 
Yeah, and what I like is that they do seem to have a specific team for each tone that they want to set. So episode four, after all the rage and the fury of episode three, I imagine is going to be more of a a story of healing, regrouping, as you mentioned, possibly fleeing or or discovery. And for that, they bring Nutter back into the director's chair with the, the double Ds on the writing credits. And this final pairing between Nutter and the showrunners is significant because D&D have expressed that these decisions were hard to make. These guys have been working together for so long and they realize like these six episodes is their last time that they're going to be working together on Game of Thrones. They took a lot of time and a lot of emotional investment in determining who was going to handle each episode, which ones they were going to write and also who would be directing each one. So each one is incredibly intentional. I think that it's going to be the perfect tone, the best of class for each episode. So I'm excited for every single one. So I'm going to take this in a different direction. You think this is going to be healing, regrouping, fleeing. Nutter also was responsible for Reigns of Castamere. One of the biggest fucking just slaps in the face. Catch you off guard that you didn't see the twist coming. Imagine that the humans are in a position to win. And then Cersei busts out Gold Company and just cuts the legs out of the human. Could you imagine the gut punch? The humans, the living's going to win. And Cersei stays true to herself. And that would force Jamie to have to make that ultimate decision between family and love and loyalty to the living. I think that would be a great episode to do that in. Yeah, last season, you and I discussed kind of our favorite seasons of Game of Thrones, and we listed them in different order. And one of the things that I talked about was how I love the early seasons because they were so dark and the good guys just lost and lost Mm -hmm. and lost and how satisfying that was and how I didn't like that season six and seven seemed to be so much victory uh, for the good guys and so few deaths. You might be right, Big D. This could be they were just getting us comfortable. They're fattening the goose. And then it's just going to be all out bloodshed. And remember that several of the cast members last season uh, mentioned that favorites from the series might be coming back as White Walkers. Now, whether they meant whites or White Walkers, I don't know. But the fact is that there could be some horrifying things happening this season that really make everything before this just seem like child's play. Yeah, people are always talking about, oh, who's going to be on the Iron Throne? I think it would be fitting if nobody was. And you talk about characters coming back at White's. One of my dreams for what's going to could come this season would be to see Hodor again. And there's a little clip of Arya in one of the other trailers running through the catacombs of Winterfell, like freaked out, scared. We've never seen her that scared since she's been capable. And I started thinking, what would do that? Could you imagine a White Hodor? returning to the catacombs where he hid with Bran and Rickon as Theon had taken Winterfeld. Imagine Hodor coming back. That would make Arya run for her life. There is a distinct horror movie tone that we haven't seen before with Game of Thrones with the sort of the, 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 the panting, the running, the silences, the suspense. I think that it is going to be a change of tone and an appropriate change of tone. They've built toward it. They'd earned it. So I'm very excited for that. I'm also excited about episode five. Episode five is another reunion between Sapochnik and the showrunners, uh, plus its placement as a penultimate episode in the series, which often we see a lot of action on in Game of Thrones, tells me that the episode five is going to be another spectacle that might decide who's left standing. It's another 80-minute episode. So I imagine that if there is a progressive march southward uh, by the Night King's army, this could be King's Landing, which we do see in the trailer. This could be how far south the battle goes, as you mentioned, Big D, and another huge, huge fight that could lay waste to a lot of people and a lot of property. Yeah, yeah, this is going to be a final stand, undoubtedly. And people go crazy with the trailers. There was a, a new one released where people have done a freeze frame of John and Daenerys in front of a fireplace, and then they mapped the stone pattern and said, <laughs> that's not the fireplace at Winterfell. That's the fireplace at Dragonstone. So then people are saying, well, that means obviously that they get driven out of King's Landing and they end up because we know that the whites can't swim. So people are going a little bit crazy. I don't think that's going to happen, but it, it, it lines up with Spotnik to have their final last stand and then one episode to clear the table and hopefully wrap this up in a way that at least I don't anticipate more than half people being happy. There's no way they're going to please a majority of the viewers. I should mention Big D, that people can write in about any of this stuff at host at shadowntv.com and let us know what you think of it or if you spotted anything in the trailers. 
And we'd be happy to incorporate that into our small counselor uh, listener mail portion, which we'll be doing every week. And that brings us to the final episode, which the Double Ds decided to write and direct. So we can expect this to be the purest presentation of their vision for the series, them having the final word on how it ends and what happens to the remainders of what's left of our favorite characters. As numerous prequels have been brought up by HBO, they all seem to be prequels. I don't believe that any of them are true sequels that are on the horizon. So this episode may be the final point in time we ever see Westeros. I'm sad even thinking about it, but I'm glad, as you mentioned, Big D, that the investment being made here in the showrunners saying, you know what, we're going to handle this one. We're going to take the wheel and we're going to close it the way we want to close it. Yeah, I think it, I I feel confident that we're going to see Westeros again. That you're, you're, the prequels will tie into the lore and the history, but it's the end of the line for all these characters. And, and it's smart that the Double Ds have taken the reins here because their legacy is built on it. They have to stick this landing or the entire legacy and reputation of Game of Thrones and subsequently the prequels going forward, I think, could be tarnished. Big D, you mentioned earlier that it might not matter who ends up sitting on the throne because it could be nobody. I do want to take a look back over the seasons just to give everybody a reminder of what happened <laughs> to everybody. who How was, we got here. How we got here, exactly. And so uh, what I want to do is do a breakdown first of the people who were really favored to sit on the throne, who had claims to the throne originally, and who might have passed along the way. And then who's left and who could be left on the throne if anybody is. And I think we should start with Renly Baratheon because he really was the front runner uh, as King Robert died. And people obviously knew that Joffrey, something wasn't quite right with him. Uh, who would be the one fit to sit on the throne? Uh, Renly had the biggest army by far. Uh, he was much more beloved than Stannis, who's kind of an unpopular guy. And looking at the the stats, looking at it on paper, you've got to think that Renly is a shoe in uh, to take over King's Landing. Uh, but if you remember the smoke baby that shot out of the Red Priestess uh, that looked like Stannis and uh, on the Eve of Baratheon Bowl as the two brothers were going to fight each other in combat, killed Renly mysteriously. Uh, Brienne of Tarth, people thought it was her or possibly Lady Stark who did it. Uh, but he had a, a decent claim to the throne, just had an asshole older brother who killed him with magic. Which brings us to his brother, Stannis Baratheon. So this is Robert's oldest brother. Normally, as you would think, the line of secession, if you know that uh, Joffrey is born of incest and illegitimate, then Robert's oldest brother would be the rightful heir to the throne. Uh, Stannis was killed by Brienne of Tarth in the final episode of season five. And she was actually avenging Renly's death as she swore to. Interesting thing about his death that I discovered, uh, Stannis's last words, he's a very austere man. He believes very much in in order and law, and he's not a very cuddly guy. And his last words to Brianna Tarth before she kills him, he says, go on, do your duty. Originally, the script called for this remorseful Stannis, which I would have really liked to see, where he actually regrets sacrificing his own daughter and assassinating his own brother. Instead, he just goes out like a boss, I guess. Like a boss? Do you think it's in Stannis's character to all of a sudden become remorseful? I mean, for God's sake, he burned his own daughter at the stake. Then all of a sudden you want, oops, my bad. But he loved his daughter. He could have said, fuck, I should never have trusted Melisandre. That bitch. I knew she was a liar. Now, that would have been some good writing. Uh, so Joffrey was actually sitting on the throne first after uh, King Robert, and that was a pretty brief reign. Uh, Cersei, of course, was his queen regent running the show. Tyrion was served as his hand, kind of tempering his madness. Uh, Joffrey was so satisfying, his poisoning during the Purple Wedding of Season 4, Episode 2, uh, The Lion and the Rose. This, in fact, was the last episode written by George R.R. R. Martin and the point where the show started to truly deviate from the books. So uh, really interesting that you and I discussed last season how we really love things going through Season 4 and then things kind of started to taper off in quality. Might be because the guy who invented the show was no longer writing the episodes. Uh, but here we have uh, uh, Joffrey, who sat on the throne. He's out of the picture, uh, relinquishing his control to Tommen, his younger brother, uh, who ascends to the throne after Joffrey's death. He's like the opposite of Joffrey. He was kind and sweet, and he jumped out a window in the final episode of season six. Yeah, but the the, the character that I'm really concerned about there that you just skipped over was Sir Pounce. 
There was some clarity. Yeah. We finally found out that it's confirmed Sir Pounce died. Oh, that's sad. Yeah, I know. He, he didn't even get like a like a goodbye. At least they should have like a scene where he's walking around the sept when it blows up. Let Sir Pounce get a glorious death. Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, the sept also. In that scene, uh, Cersei blows up uh, Marjorie and Sir Loras and the High Septon. So that's the reason why Tommen uh, kills himself. He is... And it's funny because there's actually been an, a wild debate online as to what caused Tommen to kill himself. <laughs> half the audience seems to think it was the actual act of the explosion. And half the audience seems to think that it was actually the fact that after the explosion, there was no attempt to comfort him by Cersei. Like she neglected him so much that that's the reason he killed himself. <laughs> I, I think it's kind of the kid's been having a rough couple months, right? His mother's paraded through the streets naked and beaten. His wife is in jail. He's powerless, and then half the city blows up. <laughs> I could see, I mean, kids kill themselves now if somebody puts a negative Twitter post about them. Yeah, how are you not going to put rails on his window? First of all, that's <laughs> bad parenting. You you saw what happened to Bran. Yeah, we, we could have had Babysitter Mountain, Sir Gregor. You know, why don't you have in there Robert the Strong babysitting? Like Tommen tries to jump out, he grabs him by the back. We could add some, some levity, lighten up the show. I don't know how I'm going to make the transition out of Rob Stark. <laughs> so, so Rob, King of the North, uh, this is the guy who, when everybody else, you know, when the Baratheons were arguing over who would sit on the throne and Danny is over across the narrow sea freeing slaves and stuff, this is the guy doing the fighting, doing the most to combat the Lannisters, and I think would have made a great king. Uh, you know, he, was, he lived within himself. He had respect for his bannermen. The mistake that he made was love, essentially. Oh, uh, God. He was assassinated along with his pregnant wife and his mother at the Red Wedding uh, when Walder Frey and Roose Bolton betrayed them. So Rob, out of the picture, I think still to me the most devastating death of the series. No, he deserved it, 100%. He's an idiot. Catelyn Stark told him, you've been promised to the Freys so that we could cross the twins. It's his own fault that he wanted to go after some other chick. That's stupid. Get your priorities straight. All right. May I, can I do a counter argument? Yeah, of course. All right. So here's the way I see it. Rob Stark, he thinks that his brothers are dead. He's begrieved. He's been in combat and he finds solace in this woman. And then he realizes that she's knocked up. So he, <laughs> seeing that his father had a bastard, not wanting to be that guy, and especially after thinking of his brother John and his or his half brother John and his relationship to him, thinks I'm going to do the honorable thing and I have to marry this woman, regardless of the consequences. No, no, <laughs> no, no. Marry Walder Frey's daughter. Keep her on the side. Come on, make peace. Win the war. In the end, the entire family essentially was wiped out, and it's his fault. He's a fool. And doesn't Sansa say it? That Rob was a fool and she's going to learn from those mistakes? Yeah, but so he's to blame, not Roose Bolton and Walder no. Frey who turn their allegiances? No, they're snakes. Snakes are going to act like snakes. But when people are stupid, I blame them. It wasn't like he was alone in this. Catelyn's like, no, you're making a mistake. What are you doing? No, no. When did Catelyn Stark become like an Italian uncle? No, it's 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 a... It's his mother. All right. Write in hosts at shadowntv.com. Let us know if you think Rob was an idiot or just doing the right thing. Moving on from the dead, let's go to the living or the somewhat living uh, and start with Cersei Lannister. So she is on the throne right now as we start season eight. She's cunning. She's far away from the Night King. So there's lots of battles he's got to go through to even get to her. However, Cersei has shown poor judgment in the past. She's not the smartest. She's often outwitted by Tyrion, and she has an emotional weakness for Jamie. plus losing so many children has got to drive her pretty crazy. Do you think Cersei has any chance of winning all of this? I, I don't think she has a weakness for Jamie. I think she believes that she's doomed, that her destiny is predetermined, as the, uh, as the prophecy is told that her children would die. Uh, I think she's bright enough to get by, but phew, there's no way she makes it through this. I do like that in the trailer, everyone else is shown like armoring up, wielding weapons, dragon glass, fire, and her only prop is a glass of wine. <laughs> it's very fitting. Uh, moving on from Cersei to Jamie Lannister, 
I don't know if Jamie will ever sit on the throne. He seems to be more Kingslayer than King. Uh, but many have predicted, as you mentioned, that he'll kill his sister and perhaps that'll leave him on the throne. More likely than not, as I mentioned before, I think Jamie's redemption arc is going to lead him to dying a hero against the army of the dead. I think it's a, it's a fitting end for him. But I'd love if they twisted it on us. Mm-hmm. Another long shot is uh, Lord Varys. He said from day one that his loyalty was to the realm. I, I like this idea of Varys as king. He's pragmatic. He's level-headed. He's resourceful. He always has the most information. And as you know, Big D, as a military man, information wins wars. Uh, Varys could be the most just of kings. I don't know how he would manage it with the line of succession, but you got to remember that Robert Baratheon didn't have a really valid claim to the throne. He just took over by force, you know? And so if Varys plays these, these parts correctly, he has come from a place of abuse. He's come from a place of being exploited. And so he understands what it is to be uh, the underdog and the downtrodden. Seeing him after all the smoke clears sit on the throne might be a good thing. Uh, I do not vote for Varys as king. I do, however, support Varys for prime minister. That would take care of the secession plans. Uh, he has looked out for the for the good of the realm since the beginning. He, that's allowed him to survive. And in the end, he's always cared about the realm. So if this ended in some form, not exactly democracy, uh, it could be a rewarding ending for some. That brings us to another long shot, uh, Bran Stark. Uh, so Bran, we know, has the green sight. He's been trained to rule at Winterfell as he met with so many uh, bannermen and uh, spent a lot of time under the tutelage of his maester. Uh, He spent more time sharpening his brain than swinging (laughs) a sword. And there's a certain poetry to the idea of a crippled boy sitting on the Iron Throne. But we do see him progressively drifting from his humanity. And so I wonder if he's even in touch enough with humans to care. Next. (laughs) All right. Next up is Sansa. Many people have surprisingly mentioned her sitting on the throne. She is being groomed as sort of the show's diplomat, but I think she lacks the wit, the passion, the brawn, the magic, the mystery of any other characters. I don't know why she would deserve the throne, but she is alive. She suffered greatly and she's a Stark. So there's always a chance. No, as much as people would like to see her end on top because of all the trials and tribulations and torture she's been through. uh, I don't, think that she will ultimately end up there and i don't think that it would be the best fit just to have her survive find a place of peace reunited with family that's the best she can hope for all right now we get to the favorites the three characters that most people seem to think will be reigning over westeros in the end uh starting off with daenerys targaryen so danny has overcome serious odds to arrive in westeros with dragons the unsullied and Jon snow on her side. She's the last known remaining Targaryen. So putting her back on the throne would undo the tangent created by Robert's rebellion. Uh, She seems to be in the best position to sit there, but I think it's just almost too obvious. hundred percent. I think this and our next contestant, I almost rule out because they're predictable. They're an ending people see coming. People have said this since the beginning that you're either going to get John or Daenerys on the throne or some combination I don't see any way that those two end up on top and have it seem like anything other than a cop-out. I'm imagining everybody in their cars, on the subway train, in their homes, at school with their headphones on, screaming right now that Daenerys is not the last remaining Targaryen. So before we get in, um, actually, yes, Jon Snow is Aegon Targaryen. So technically, Daenerys isn't the last, but it's not widely known to the to the kingdom right now that he's a Targaryen. And so John, I think he's, he's got to be the fan favorite, but he's in love with his aunt who <laughs> has a more obvious claim to the throne, not the most direct claim to the throne, but everybody knows who Daenerys Targaryen is. She's got the branding, right? She's got the dragons. She's clearly a Targaryen. She's Daenerys Stormborn. Uh, John's also died once and he wields Valerian steel. So I think he's much more likely to serve as a warrior than a ruler. He just doesn't have the makings or the trappings of what I imagine would be the storyline that builds up to King of the Seven Kingdoms. So listen, John, he's a fan favorite. We love him. He's great swinging his, his Valerian sword, long claw. But you got he's not the brightest. You, you look at Battle of the Bastards. He does a lot of things that really shouldn't work. And even Sansa, who's not a a military mind, 
an expert in combat. She's like, listen, I'm telling you, Ramsey's not traditional. He's baiting you. John is far too impulsive. I do not see him ending there. The show loves to give us the gut punch. And if you were to kill these two off in one fell swoop, you want to talk about Red Wedding? You would get some reaction videos of just people <laughs> people crying. You can't have either of these two come out on top in a positive way. That would change my view of the whole series. Yeah, I think it is a distinct possibility that this final contestant might be the one who wins it all after all, and that's the Night King. There is a possibility, and I'm glad that people have brought it up and that people are supporting this idea that maybe the living all just die through their inability to work together, through the treachery of Cersei, uh, through just having ridiculous optimism. They all die. Night King sits on the throne after all. But like, let's face it, he's got the better army. He's the strongest. He already has a dope-ass crown. He doesn't need anybody to make him one. But the, the interesting thing about this is, is people assume that the Night King wants the throne. He may no. not even know what the throne is. No. He doesn't care. Hell no. He doesn't, he doesn't want that. But you say that the, the Night King has, has a stronger force. Remember, he exponentially grows stronger. Everything that he kills, animal, human, giant, Hodor, they all come back on his side. And I could see it, like you said, he wipes out humanity, then turns around, just starts walking north. You know, like, I don't want this. I'm going home. I did what I wanted. The humans kept bothering me. I told them, don't cross the wall. They kept doing it. You pissed me off. I had to slap you down. I'm just going home. I just imagine him turning north and they play the uh, that old school uh, end credit music from The Incredible Hulk as he just sort of slinks his Basically, the Night King saying, get off my lawn. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Uh, to close the episode out, Big D, I'd like to just go over a quick wish list of what I want to see out of season eight. Uh, mainly, I want things to work out for the Starks. Now, it's funny because at the end of season seven, I was like, I really like it when the good guys lose. and I want the bad guys to win more. And as I started thinking about it, as the show's coming to a close, I'm starting to change my tune, man. I'm like, I I, I want the Starks to be OK. They're the real heroes in this story. I think Winterfell probably will fall in the Battle of Winterfell. So it's another horrific thing they've got to endure all that pain. I'd love to see justice or at least some purpose to the reason why they have to uphold that duty. That and I just want the direwolves to survive. I worry about them a lot. Yeah, well, we only got two of them left. So your 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 dose of direwolves could be a little slim this season. Right. So Grey Wind uh, was killed at the Red Wedding along with Rob Stark. Uh, Summer, Bran's wolf, uh, died when he was uh, fending off the Whites uh, in season six. Uh, we had Lady who was killed because Nymeria bit Joffrey. Shaggy Dog, arguably the worst name of the pack, uh, was beheaded by the Umbers in season six to show uh, fealty. So basically, yeah, it's just Nymeria and Ghost. Now, Nymeria, we saw her out in the woods uh, in season seven, kind of a metaphor for Arya's independence. She's got her own pack now, and she saw Arya in season seven. Nymeria is probably on a boat to get the hell out of there. She's smart. She's mm -hmm. not a stupid wolf. She's going to get the fuck out. Uh, Ghost, on the other hand, he's the, the the warrior of the group. Remember, he was the albino that was almost left behind. Jon Snow claimed him. He's cut from a different cloth, but Ghost has been in battle after battle and come out very lucky. He's fought against the undead. He's been north of the wall. He's been through a lot, but I think if I had to pick out of the two, I don't think things are going to go very well for Ghost. No, no, that'll that'll elicit more tears than I think uh, even Daenerys being killed. Yeah, that scene where Jon comes back from the dead and Ghost is like the first to rise and, and notice that he's breathing. I was just like, oh, look at him. He's beautiful. Okay, so my wish list, fairly simple and short. I want an ending that isn't predictable. I don't want an ending that's completely fulfilling. It doesn't have to be happy. The show succeeds because it's not black or white. It's gray. Give me a gray ending that doesn't, it's not the one that's meant to appease and have everybody happy. Number two, I want zero spoilers, zero set production leaks. I don't want any of that shit. And I don't want you guys sending that to me in emails. Because if that's the case, we're going to hire an intern to screen all of our emails. Next, I want Clegane Bowl. We know it's coming because the brothers reunited in the season seven finale. It is certain. Sandor told the mountain, 
What they did to you doesn't matter. It's not how it ends for you, brother. You know who's coming for you. He's coming for you. We're all on board. I want that. Then I want a white Hodor, and I want him to attack and maybe kill one Stark child. If he killed Arya, I'm on board. Good for me. Uh, Next, no jetpacking. Zero jetpacking. I will not take Tormund appears at the wall. Next thing is a King's Landing. I, I won't take that. Okay. And my last one, I want badass Podrick kicking some ass with a sword and maybe getting the, getting the ladies. Maybe he ends up with Brienne. That'd be interesting. We know that Podrick could swing a sword in the bedroom. Let's watch him swing a sword out in the, the field of battle. I like to add to my uh, my wish list and just have the entire Clegane Bowl challenge read in like a WWE voice. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what they did to you doesn't matter. It's how it ends for you, brother. You know who's coming for you. You know who's coming for you, brother. It's me. I'm coming for you. The hound. Oh, <laughs> I'm going to eat all your chicken. Give me your chicken, brothers. <laughs> All right. Well, that concludes this week's episode of Shout on TV, uh, Game of Thrones edition. Be sure to follow us on social media and share with a friend. We're on Twitter, Snapchat, and Instagram at Shout on TV. Facebook, search for Shout on TV podcast. The website is shoutontv.com. You can email us with your thoughts on season eight at hosts at shoutontv.com. Go ahead and roll with those theories. I know you've got them and you've been holding back. We've already gotten some email in. Uh, if you'd like to send us a voicemail, you can reach us at 914-719-CHAT and just record your thoughts. We'd be happy to play them on the podcast. Also, a bit of a housekeeping. If you plan to listen, remember that for this show, because it is so huge and it is the final season of Game of Thrones, we are doing three episodes a week. So uh, the first episode will come out the same night as the Game of Thrones episode. That'll be the Instacast. The next one will come out the following Tuesday which will give us 24 hours to research, dig deep, and to read some of your reactions. And then on Friday, we will release the small council, which is the listener mail portion. So you've got all week to write in. Let us know about your episode. We'll stop collecting them on Wednesday and release that on every Friday for the duration of Game of Thrones. Thanks so much for listening. Where everywhere fine podcasts can be found, including iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, and YouTube. Be sure to subscribe. And if you stop by iTunes, please be sure to leave a review that helps the podcast grow. Also, you can check out our other Shout on TV shows. We're currently doing American Gods. We've done True Detective, Taboo, Westworld. And be sure to check out our sister podcast, Shat the Movies, where we do 80s and 90s movies. That's at shatthemovies.com. On behalf of my co host, Big D, Dick Ebert, and the King B, I'm Gene Lyons. Please be sure to join us after the season eight premiere of Game of Thrones on Sunday for our first Instacast of the season. 